hell is a place of eternal torment separated from the presence of God. Come on everybody, open your mouth and worship the Lord. He's worthy of the glory. He deserves the praise today. Come on everybody all over the room, open your mouth and worship Him. Lift your hands and bless them in this place. Your simple song. My hallelujah belongs to you. My hallelujah belongs to you. My hallelujah belongs to you. Oh Lord, yes. My hallelujah belongs to you. Y'all got it. Come on, say, my hallelujah. From the bottom of your heart, lift your voice. My hallelujah. Lord, my hallelujah. Then we simply say, you deserve it. Simple say it, church. From the bottom of your heart, tell the Lord. You deserve it, Lord. Now say, all of the glory. Everything I give you, Lord. Everything I owe you, Lord, it belongs to you. Y'all got it now? Come on, say it. Oh, my God. 
together one time. My hallelujah belongs to you. Everybody, come on in concert and say it. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Man, I just love to see when our kids are using their talents that God's given them for the glory of God. Can we one more time just let them know how much we appreciate that? Amen. Well, I appreciate you being here this morning, and I'm going to just warn you right up front as I begin the message today that this is going to be a tough message. It's going to be a tough message for me to deliver to you. And more than likely, it's going to be a tough message for you to hear. And a tough message for you to receive. At this point, as we've talked about the end times, we started off talking about the rapture of the church, which I believe is the next great event or the next prophetic event that's going to take place on the prophetic calendar. And then after the rapture takes place, that's going to trigger the next event, which is the tribulation, which is a seven-year period of time. And during that seven-year period of time, those who are left here on earth will experience a time of persecution and hardship unlike the world has ever seen before. And there will also be the revealing of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and a false church. But during that seven-year time of tribulation, the church, as we talked about last week, is going to be in heaven. And immediately following the rapture, those who are redeemed will stand before the Lord and we will be judged according to our works and we will be rewarded according to our works. And then after that time of judging and rewarding, we will then take part in the celebration of the church, the bride being married to the groom who is Christ. And after the wedding celebration, we will then go in and we will celebrate together the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then at the end of that, at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation, the church will return back to this earth with Jesus and He will establish His kingdom here on the earth. It's called the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ that will last for a thousand years. And during that time, Satan will be bound. But at the end of the thousand years of millennial reign, Satan will be loosed again for a season. And then after being loosed again for a season and allowed to deceive the nations, God will act and God will act swiftly to deal with Satan once and for all. He will bind Satan up. He will cast him to the sea or into the lake of fire and brimstone where that beast and the false prophet already are. And there they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. But after Satan has been destroyed, after he has been cast into the lake of fire, 
will then come the next event on the prophetic calendar, which is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. And we read about the Great White Throne Judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And today I'm going to talk to you about the destiny, and I should have put the word eternal, the eternal destiny of the unbeliever. It's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we read about this great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. The word of the Lord says, and this is John that's writing these words down as he sees it unfold in a vision. He said, I saw a great white throne. Now, we need to understand that he calls it a white throne because white represents holiness and purity. And he said, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the one who is sitting on this throne is Jesus because God hands all judgment off to his son, Jesus. And so sitting on this white throne is Jesus. And then it says that the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Now at the end of time... The Bible says that the old heaven and the old earth is going to pass away. That's what this scripture is referring to when it says the earth and sky fled from his presence and that he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. But during this, trans, this transition of the old heaven and the new earth being done away with and the new heaven and the new earth being created, this is where the judgment takes place for unbelievers and it's the unbelieving dead at the great white throne judgment of the Lord. And then in verse 12, he said, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Now I want you to notice this. He said, I saw the dead. You need to understand that those who were ungodly, those who were unbelievers that were still alive, they were dealt with by Christ at his second coming, at the end of the tribulation. So we're not talking about the living here that are being judged by the Lord. We're talking about those who died, who never made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now we talked a few weeks ago about what happens to those who died in Christ. Those who died having made the decision to be followers of Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that when the rapture takes place, that the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And, and so those who died in the Lord, those who died in Christ, those who died as believers, they are resurrected at the rapture. And they are taken to heaven at that moment in the presence of the Father. But those who were not followers of Christ that died, they will not be resurrected until this moment that we are looking at here in scripture today. And that's why John said, I saw the dead both great and small. Those who were great in this world, those that you never heard of and those who you've heard of plenty of times. Those who were popular, those who were unpopular, those who were celebrities and were not celebrities, those who were great leaders and not so great leaders, those who were well known and those who were not known at all. He said, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And then he says that the books were opened. And one of the books that are opened at the great white throne judgment is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now listen, the one thing that is going to condemn these who stand before God is the fact that they never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that's going to be the one thing that's going to condemn them to hell. And notice what it says. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. Those who lost their life at sea. Those who maybe were cremated and had their ashes spread at sea or in some other place in the world that thinks that they would escape this resurrection of the dead to be judged are wrong. Because I'm telling you, all of the dead, small and great, who did not know Jesus, who did not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will be resurrected. They will be raised from the dead. And they will be judged according to their works and sentenced accordingly. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. They were thrown into the lake of fire, which is just another term for hell. This lake of fire is the second death. You say, well, if this is the second death, what's the first death? Well, the first death was when they died physically. This is not a physical death that we're talking about here. This is eternal spiritual death. This is eternal separation from God in hell, the second death. This lake of fire, when they're cast into hell, is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I think it's very clear that the Bible teaches about a place and a destiny called hell. I believe it was a tough message for Jesus to preach, just like I believe it's a tough message for us to preach today when we talk about hell. Because people don't like to think about hell. People don't like to think about a God that would allow people to spend eternity in a place called hell. But 167 times in Scripture do we read about hell. 167 times. 33 times in the three and a half span of time that Jesus had a public ministry here on this earth. He ministered publicly for three and a half years. And during those three and a half years, Jesus either preached or taught about hell, get this, 33 times. That means almost once a month, Jesus was preaching or teaching a sermon about hell. There'd be a lot of people that wouldn't go to Jesus' church today because he preached a lot on the subject of hell. And the reason why he preached and taught a lot about the subject of hell is because of his heart of compassion. It was because he did not want anyone to spend eternity in hell. And can I tell you, that is the only reason that I'm preaching this message this morning on this subject of the eternal destiny of the believer and about hell is because of my compassion for every person in this room here today. And I do not want you to spend eternity in hell. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in just a moment that talks 
talks about, that, that, that Jesus himself talks about and gives us a picture of what hell was like before his resurrection. But before we do that, I think I just need to make you aware of four different groups of people who deny the existence of hell because it blows my mind that even though the Bible talks about hell 167 times, and even though Jesus in a three and a half year period of time talked about hell 33 times, it amazes me how many theologians and pastors and denominations are distancing themselves from hell and even denying the fact that hell exists. Did you know that 38% now of Southern Baptists do not believe in the existence of hell? According to a recent survey, according to a recent survey, 54% of, uh, of, of Methodists no longer believe in hell. According to a recent survey, 58% of Presbyterians no longer believe in the existence of hell. And 60% of Episcopalians now deny the existence of hell. And get this, 71% of seminary students in the eight leading seminaries in our nation today in the United States, 71% of students coming out of those seminaries being prepared for ministry, 71% percent of them deny the existence of hell and get this not only the existence of hell but they deny the existence of heaven and I understand that because if you don't believe in hell you cannot believe in heaven because the same Bible that talks about heaven also talks about hell and the same Jesus that taught about heaven also taught about hell but there's four different groups that you need to be aware of today that deny the existence of hell one of those groups are atheists. Atheists says there is no God. They deny the existence of God. Well, let me just say this. I deny the existence of atheists. I believe that it's impossible to be an atheist. I believe that it's impossible to say that God does not exist because for you to say that God does not exist would mean that you would have to have all knowledge and this is a scientific fact it's a scientific fact that the smartest person on the face of the earth only possesses two percent of all knowledge two percent now don't you think that for atheists that somewhere within that 98 percent of knowledge that they do not possess that God could actually exist so, so there may be a such thing as an agnostic. An agnostic says, maybe he does, but if he does, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if God exists or not. But the atheist denies the existence of God. And because of that, they deny that hell exists. But not only is there the atheist, there's also the nihilationist. The annihilationist. And here's what the annihilationist group believe. They believe that all believers will go to heaven. But they believe that unbelievers that when they die and go to hell they'll just be annihilated and they get that doctrine from one passage of scripture Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 where Jesus said do not fear those who can kill the body but fear those who can kill both the body and the soul in hell and they've taken one scripture and they formed a doctrine around it of annihilation that when you go to hell, you're just going to disintegrate. You're just going to be annihilated. But listen to me this morning. This is so important. You cannot establish doctrine on one passage of scripture. 
You can only establish doctrine based upon the whole counsel of God's Word. What God's Word has to say from cover to cover. And cover to cover, the Bible says that hell is a place of eternal torment, not a place where you are annihilated. Number three group is the ultimate reconciliationists. And let me tell you who the ultimate reconciliationists are. These are the people that believe that really doesn't matter that ultimately all of us we're going to be reconciled to God and and that eventually even Satan will ultimately be reconciled to God and their view of hell is that hell is a place of purging to prepare you to get to heaven that that when you go to hell that you're only there for a temporary amount of time to purge you so that you are prepared to get to heaven that's, that's what the ultimate reconciliationists believe about hell. So they deny the biblical view of hell. And then fourthly are the universalists. And the universalists, they deny the existence of hell because here's what they believe. They believe that everybody's going to heaven anyway. And the reason that everybody's going to heaven is because Jesus, when he went to the cross, he paid the price for everybody's sins. And so the price for everyone's sins has already been paid. And whether you believe that or not, that doesn't matter because free choice and free will is taken out of the, out of the equation. Jesus has done it, therefore it's done. Therefore, everybody is going to get to heaven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach that Jesus paid the price for the sins of the world past present and future but the Bible also says that you receive that by faith through or you receive that by grace through faith you've got to have faith the Bible says if you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth then you're going to be saved not just the fact that it's happened you've actually got to believe it you've actually got to put faith in it amen and you've actually got to surrender your life and your will over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ but these are the four groups that deny the existence of hell but let me tell you somebody who did not deny the existence of hell Jesus didn't deny the existence of hell And many times in scripture, he talked about hell. And one of those times is here in Luke chapter 16. Now, there's a lot of debate about this passage of scripture that I'm going to share with you here. And the debate is whether or not this is a true story that Jesus is telling or whether this is a parable. And really, when you think about it, it doesn't matter if it's a true story or whether it's a parable. Either way, Jesus is trying to teach us about this place called hell and what hell is going to be like. I personally believe that this is a true story that Jesus is referring to. The reason why I believe it's a true story is because most every parable begins by the writer saying, and Jesus shared this parable with them. Neither is this a simile. Nowhere in this passage are you hearing where Jesus is saying that hell is like this or hell is like that. It's not a, it's not a simile. But the thing that really makes me think that this is a true story is because this is the only so-called parable in the Bible where Jesus actually calls people by specific names. These are real people that we're going to be talking about in this parable. And notice what he says are in this story. Luke chapter 16 verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now let me tell you why Jesus began this story this way. Because the Pharisees, that's the crowd that he's talking to, the Pharisees believed that if you were wealthy, that wealth was a sign of your righteousness. Righteousness. 
That if you were wealthy, that you possessed much of the favor of God, that you were blessed by God. So they just assume that if you're wealthy, you're righteous. And so Jesus is trying to help them get proper perspective here. And it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. It's a different Lazarus. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now here's what the Pharisees would have believed about this man. They would have believed that this man was cursed. Because he was poor, because he had sores, because he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, they would look at him as being cursed. So the rich man is righteous and blessed, but the poor man is unrighteous and cursed. And notice what Jesus said, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Abraham being a real person in this story. That's why I believe it's not a parable, but I believe it's a true story. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, which is a Greek word for hell. It means the abode of the dead. And before the resurrection of Jesus, the abode of the dead was a place of waiting. And it had two compartments. In one compartment was the unrighteous dead. In the other compartment was the righteous dead called Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. And between the two compartments was a great chasm that we'll read about here in just a moment. And notice what it says that in Hades where he was in what? Torment. And you're going to see different variations of this word throughout this story that shows us that hell is a place of torment. And it says that he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now understand this is hell before the resurrection. And in hell before the resurrection you could see from one compartment across the chasm over to the other compartment where the righteous dead were. And it says he was in torment and he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now let me stop here. The rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich and the poor man didn't get to Abraham's bosom or heaven because he was poor. When you study this story out, you see the attitudes of each one. And the rich man, it's, it's obvious by his attitude that he's not a follower of Jesus. It's obvious by his attitude that he has rejected Christ much the same way that all the other Pharisees that Jesus was talking to had rejected him. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And beside all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
us, listen to me, I want you to hear me this morning. This tells you that hell is eternal. This tells you that once you are there, you cannot get out. That it's not just a place of purging. It's not just a place to prepare you. It's not just a holding pattern any longer. But hell is a place of eternal torment separated from the presence of God. And then notice what he says. He answered, then I beg you, Father. This is the rich man. Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. Now, there's three things that I want you to get from this passage of Scripture today that Jesus gives us. And I want you to understand this is Jesus talking. So that right there should put to rest anyone who would try to deny the existence of hell. Because Jesus tells us in this passage and many other passages that hell exists. But not only that, we also see that hell many times in Scripture is associated with fire. As a matter of fact, the 19 times out of 33 times that Jesus talked about hell, he compared it to a lake of fire or he he compared it to eternal flames or eternal fire. And so he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced, even if somebody rises from the dead. So, 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 so Jesus lays to rest this, this idea that we would have that there is no such thing as hell and that, that it's not a place of, of, of fire. And also it should lay to rest any, any doubt that we might have about whether it's a place of torment because the Bible is very clear over and over and over that hell is a place of torment but look at three things from this passage of scripture here this morning number one when you see this rich man in hell you see that the first thing that he desires is he desires comfort he desires comfort because notice what it says it says that he called to him father Abraham have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire notice he doesn't say have him bring me a bucket of water he doesn't even say I want to be able to dip my finger or him him to dip his finger in a bucket of water he said if you'll just have him dip the tip of his finger in the water so that I can cool my tongue as I said 19 times when Jesus talked about hell he compared it to a place of fire and one of the words that Jesus would use to talk about hell was the word Gehenna and the word Gehenna is a Greek word that was used to refer to the valley of Henna in the Old Testament it was known as the valley of Hinnom it was a Canaanite word but the Valley of Hinna, or the Valley of Hinnom, was a valley just south of the city of Jerusalem. And in that valley, it was a valley of perpetual burning. It's where people would take their garbage. It's where they would take their refuse. And they would throw it into that valley, and the fire would continually burn to burn the garbage, to burn the refuge. If there were dead animals on the street, they would throw those dead animals into that gulf. If, if, if there were poor people who could not afford a funeral, they would take 
take their bodies and they would throw them in that valley of Gehenna so that not only was it a perpetual fire, but there was a continual smell of flesh burning in the air. And when Jesus wanted to give these Pharisees a picture of what hell was going to be like, he said, if you want to know what it's going to be like, then go down here to the valley of Gehenna and what you see and what you experience at the valley of Gehenna is much like what hell is going to be like. In the Old Testament, it was the valley of Hinnom and it was a Canaanite word. And when the Israelites came out of Babylonian captivity, they brought some of the Babylonian customs with them. And one of the customs that some of them brought with them who was worshiping the Babylonian god Moloch is they would have their children walk through the fire, sacrificing their children to the god Moloch. And you can understand that when a child is being told to walk into a fire, a child doesn't want to do that. And so the parents would have whips and they would whip their children driving them into that fire and into that flame. And when Jesus talked about the valley of Gehenna, when he talked about and compared it to hell, it was this scripture where he talked about where there will be much weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Because when those children would be driven to walk into that fire as a sacrifice to the god Molech, they would be weeping and they would be wailing and they would be gnashing their teeth. And that's where this rich man is. He is in a place of torment. He is in a place of flames. And he wants and needs some comfort. He said, just send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. And not only does he desire comfort, but the second thing that he does is he expresses concern. Because listen to what he says. He said, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And I believe that every person who ends up in hell... That at some point that thought is going to cross their mind. I sure hope my children don't come here. I sure hope my grandchildren don't come here. I sure hope my spouse doesn't come here. I pray that somebody will go and somebody will tell them and somebody will talk to them about this place called hell. You see, that's the reason why I'm preaching that message this morning, this message this morning. That's the reason why I'm delivering this word here today. It's because I I want everyone in this room to have had the opportunity to have heard the gospel. To have heard that God has made a way where it seemed like there was no way for you to escape this place that we're talking about here this morning. But evidently, this rich man never had anybody... To tell him about this place. And I don't know. But do you think that there are people in hell right now? That are saying, man, I hope my children don't come here. I hope my grandchildren doesn't come here. I hope my spouse doesn't come here. And I sure hope that somebody from Summerton Church of God will tell them about this place. But do you think that it will ever cross their mind to say something like this? Well, they probably won't because they never told me about this place. He desires comfort. He expresses concern. 
I don't want my brothers here. I don't want my other family members here. And then he goes on and he seeks consolation. He says to Abraham, he says, no, Father Abraham, if somebody from the dead goes to them, he's thinking that if, you would, if you'll raise Lazarus from the dead, if you'll send him from the dead, if you'll send him back to my brothers, if you'll send him back to my family members, they'll believe somebody that rose from the dead. But notice what Jesus said. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, and what he's talking about here is he's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, which was the only thing that they had at that time, but still had plenty of information about this place called hell. He said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they will not be convinced, even if somebody rises from the dead, and hear me he's talking here when he shares this story he's talking to Pharisees Pharisees who would at 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 one time who would very quickly even see that Jesus would die and Jesus would be resurrected from the dead but it still would not be enough to convince them even though they saw him alive after he had been dead And Jesus said, it won't do any good if they don't believe what the Bible says. They're not going to believe in somebody rose from the dead. And listen to me, Jesus did rise from the dead. And Jesus has talked to us about this subject. And he's seeking consolation. He's seeking, he's saying, Lord, if you'll just... If you'll just have Lazarus rise from the dead, I think that'll be enough right there. That'll get their attention. And Jesus said, no, it won't. Father Abraham says, no, it won't. If they don't believe what the Bible says, then they're not going to believe even if somebody were raised from the dead. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible tells us what hell is going to be like. Not only is it going to continue to be a place of eternal torment, but the Bible tells us there's a few other things that you will find are not find in hell. Scientists tells us, or they tell us, that there are two physical attributes or properties that every one of us need to keep us physically and mentally stable. And the two things that we need to keep us physically and mentally stable is we need light and we need solid. Without light and without solid, we we cannot be mentally and physically stable. We need light because we need to be able to get our bearings. We need to be able to to see how to move. Even, Even some folks who are blind, many who are blind, they can still encounter, they can still know when lights are turned on because they can see some form of light or darkness. But in hell, the Bible tells us that it is a place. Listen to what the scripture says. It says that they will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be no light whatsoever in hell. It will be so black that you cannot even see the hand in front of your face. I know that hell before the resurrection of Jesus, that the rich man could look over into the other compartment. But in hell, after the resurrection of Jesus, it's completely dark. You will never see another person again. You will never encounter another person again the only thing that you will see throughout all of eternity is blackness and darkness but not only that we also need solid do you know what the Bible compares hell to 
in Revelation chapter 9, Revelation chapter 11, a couple of other chapters in Revelation, it refers to it as the abyss. It refers to it as the bottomless pit. There is nothing solid about heaven. You feel like you are continually falling. There's nowhere for you to sit down. There's nowhere for you to stand up. There's nothing for you to reach out and to grab a hold of. It is utter darkness and it is a bottomless pit. The Bible tells us, but then it also tells us, scientists also tell us that there are some emotional attributes that we need to keep us emotionally stable. And those emotional attributes that keep us emotionally stable are two things, rest and hope. Every one of us in this room here today, we need rest. If you don't get rest, what do you get? You get grumpy. It affects you emotionally. We need rest and we need hope. But the Bible tells us that there will be neither rest nor will there be any hope in hell. Because Revelation 14 and 11 says the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image. Or for anyone who receives the mark or his name. No rest day or night. None whatsoever. You'll never be able to sit. You'll never be able to kick back. You'll never be able to sleep. It is a place where there is no rest and there is no hope. Because once you have arrived in hell, as we've seen, hell is eternal and after you've been there 10,000 centuries then it's going to hit you one day that you don't have one second less to stay in this place because it's going to be forever and ever throughout all of eternity you say well how does our body survive that well at the resurrection just as the saints of God get a glorified body an immortal body even those that are confined and sentenced to hell get an immortal body it's a body that's going to be able to live forever. It's a body that will have to endure the torment forever. It's a body that will have to endure the blackness and the darkness and the bottomless pit. No rest, no hope whatsoever for all of eternity. But how many of you here this morning are ready to hear some good news? I've given you a lot of bad news this morning. And I can tell I'm starting to lose some of you right now. But let me give you some good news this morning. The good news is God never prepared hell for human beings God never prepared hell for you and I the Bible tells us right here in Mark 9 47 48 or, or in Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 it says then the king will turn to those on the left and say away with you you cursed ones into the eternal fire look at this prepared for the devil and his demons hell was never prepared for human beings hell was prepared for the devil and his demons and these people that want to say I don't understand why a loving God would send people to hell hear me this morning God has never sent one person to hell for some reason we think that we are born and that heaven is our default destination heaven is not our default destination you and I were born sinners ladies and gentlemen hell was our default destination but God loved us so much that God said I want to change where they spend eternity and God made a way where it seemed like there was no way and Jesus paid a price that only Jesus could pay so that you and I would not have to go to hell but so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven amen he has never sent anyone to hell if anyone goes to hell it's because they made a choice to reject what Jesus has done and they made a choice 
to spend eternity in hell. But God didn't prepare hell for any of us, not human beings, but for the devil and his demons. But can I tell you what he did prepare for you? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Did you hear what I just said? I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. He didn't prepare hell for you, but he did prepare heaven for you. Amen. Amen. He prepared a place for you where you could spend eternity in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Where you could spend eternity in the presence of God the Father. I'm so thankful this morning that none of us have to go to hell. None of us have to spend eternity there. But that every one of us because of Jesus and because of the compassion and the love of God that every one of us can spend eternity with God. With God in heaven. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summiton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summiton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.